Well, good morning, everybody. Today we're talking about the people in our neighborhood. But first, all of us here at the Northville campus want to say to all of you there at the Farmington Hills campus, a very happy first anniversary. Yeah, way to go. We're so proud of you. Way to go, Farmington Hills. All right. Great job. All right, well, very good to have you with us today. Whether you're brand new to Ward Church or have been here for many years, I want you to know that God loves you and I love you too. The dream for the Farmington Hills campus began nearly two years ago. A daughter church of ours, Grace Chapel in Farmington Hills, Halstead Road, just north of 12 Mile Road, was without a pastor. And our pastors were filling in the pulpit along with pastors from our region and the elders of Grace Chapel. And then the elders at Grace Chapel approached us to talk about a greater partnership. And in the end, it was decided that Ward Church would adopt Grace Chapel back into the Ward Church family and then relaunch as Ward Church Farmington Hills. And that is exactly what we did one year ago today. Now, the Farmington Hills campus um, is what we'd call a multi-site model of church. And the multi-site model, one church in more than one location, is not new in the United States. In fact, I read yesterday, for churches our size and larger, there are more multi-site churches than there are single-site churches. Meaning multi-site, one church in more than one location, is the most normal way of doing church in America today. It is not a new model, but it was new for us or new for us in a very long time. A few of you will remember that Ward Church started as multi-site in 1956. Our founding pastor, Dr. Bart Hess, would give his Sunday morning sermon at the Elizabeth W. Ward Memorial Presbyterian Church of Detroit, and then he would get in his car, exhausted by the name of the church, (laughs) and his wife, Margaret, would drive him out to the suburbs where he gave the sermon a second time. We were one church in two locations in 1956 before anybody knew what that meant. We envisioned the Farmington Hills campus as being a multi-site strategy that would be the best of both worlds, the best of the large and the small, the best of the old and the new. A lot of people say they prefer smaller churches because of the intimacy but they like the programs available in a larger church. A multi-site campus can give people a smaller, more intimate worship community and at the same time have the big mission impact of a larger community. A campus can have local focus and high ownership and at the same time have stronger financial systems and the accountabilities provided in a larger church. A campus can have the energy of a new work and the stability of an established work. So we're learning and growing a lot in our understanding of the multi-site model of ministry, but again, congratulations to campus pastor Sean Carroll and everybody there at the Farmington Hills campus. One more time, well done, well done. So today we're gonna talk about the people in our neighborhood. Now the idea of loving your neighbor, as you know, was very significant to Jesus. He was not casual about this. It was not one item in a list of many for Jesus. 
In fact, he used the word greatest when talking about this idea. And I want us to look directly at the words of Jesus from Matthew's gospel. And because this is the main scripture reading of the day, as is our custom, I'm going to ask you if you would please stand to your feet wherever you are here or in Farmington Hills. And because it's a shorter passage today, I'd like to invite you to read this aloud with me this morning. Let's read together the word of God as found in Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 22, beginning with verse 35. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. God, thank you for these commands that Jesus spoke and followed. Help us to reflect on these words in ways that shape us and strengthen us. Help us to live and love as Jesus did. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the guy did not ask for two commandments. He said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the second is like it. The second is just as important. The second flows from the first. In fact, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two, two commandments. Jesus is bringing out something that's always been present in the scriptures, but is easy to forget. It's the notion that love for God and love for people are inextricably tied together. In fact, you cannot love God and not love people. So Jesus, with great brilliance and great authority, weds these two together in ways that are hard to forget. Jesus ties these two commands together eight times in the Gospels. Jesus said it so often that these are together referred to as the great commandment. We call it that to this day, 2,000 years later. Love God and love people are the great commandment. Love is the primary and greatest purpose of your life. Now this word neighbor is an interesting word in itself. It comes from two words, nigh, And to be nigh or draw nigh means to be near. Nigh means near. And burr is an old German or Dutch word that means to dwell. Nyber are people you dwell near, people who dwell nearby. Now when Jesus taught us to love our neighbors, he was not limiting love geographically. But for the purpose of today, we are talking about people who live nearest to us. So I want to draw for you a map that I've drawn dozens of times in different leadership settings. And if you've been to a leadership meeting at War Church, you likely have seen me draw this map before and be prepared to be mesmerized. Mesmerized? This is Haggerty Road. Thank you. And this is Six Mile Road. Now, this is a fascinating intersection for multiple reasons. A lot of cities meet right at this intersection. On this side of Haggerty is Northville. On this side is Livonia. 
Down here is Plymouth. Over here, uh, Westland and Garden City. And a lot of these cities meet right here. It's also an amazing part of the city because there are like 7,000 restaurants right along Haggerty in this area here. But right on the northwest corner of Six Mile and Haggerty, there's a little enterprise that has as its mission to awaken people, to have people have their eyes opened. And the name of that little enterprise is Starbucks Coffee. That's right, right here in the <laughs> corner, Starbucks. And then behind Starbucks is Ward Church, who has as its mission to lead generations to live and love like Jesus. Now, our denomination, our collection of churches, is encouraging every church to see as its primary mission field a five-mile radius around their building. So if we were to draw a five-mile radius around our property, it would look uh, something like this. My uh, marker is... uh... Okay, that was more work than I thought it'd be. And to give you an idea of how big a five-mile radius is, that takes out the Merriman Road out here, that's Ridge Road out here, Joy Road down here, 696 across the top. That's a five-mile radius. And we know that inside this five-mile radius, uh, we know that 191,606 people live within a five-mile radius of that building. Now hold on, because I want to include the Farmington Hills campus here as well. So let me just uh, uh, start over with a different scale here. Um, Talk amongst yourselves. Boy, it's hard to write and hard to erase. That's why they call it a magic marker. Okay, same, uh, same map, but let me draw a slightly different scale here. Here again is Haggerty, but in this uh, scale, this is Six Mile. And this is 12 Mile. And over here on Halstead Road is our Farmington Hills campus. Down here, our Northfield campus. And if you were to draw a five-mile radius around uh, each campus, it would look something like this. Boy, this marker is just... Okay, that's a very bad circle. Okay, that's a... Imagine these are circles and not whatever I just drew. <laughs> but the two five-mile uh, radii, radiuses, they actually overlap. They touch here, and they overlap right here around, uh, around Grand River. Now, how many of you, by a show of hands, here and in Farmington Hills, how many of you live within five miles of one of the Ward Church campuses? You live within five miles. Okay, uh, most everyone in the room where I am, the data shows that only about 60% of you live within five miles of one of the campuses. 40% of you drive a distance greater than five miles. Now, all of us are uh, responsible to a ministry of proximity, people near where we live and work and play, but as a church, we're focusing on these five-mile 
radius is between our two campuses. And I want to, uh, I want to study about the people that live in uh, those kind of circles. So uh, we're going to play a little game show here. All right, I've already given you the first answer. Population of the five-mile radius. People who live within five miles of the Northfield campus. How many? I've already told you. They are 191,606 people. Now, within five miles of the Farmington Hills campus, do you think the population is greater or less? Farmington Hills campus circle? 185,413 souls. Very similar uh, in size between the two circles. Um, growth in population since 2000. You think the Northville five-mile radius has grown um, or declined since 2000? It has grown only by 3%. Do you think the Farmington Hills campus has grown by more or less? It has grown by more. 9.7 is the growth. At the same time, in the whole United States, the whole country grew 17.6%. So the country grew 17.6, and we grew by 3%. So we would be in a community that is stagnant. Optimists would say stable. The average age, I don't, have, I don't have a slide for this, the average age of the Northville Circle, 43 years old. Average age of the Farmington Hill Circle, 43 years old. They're the same. Do we have any 43-year-olds here or in Farmington? Kind of raise your hands. I want everyone to see what an average person looks like. <laughs> now, demographers say you have to be careful about uh, averages because a 90-year-old and a 10-year-old who are neighbors have an average age of 50. Right? I mean, so average age don't tell us a lot, but that's all we have to go on, 43, 43. Now, it gets very interesting when we get to the demographics of ethnicity. How many people inside, what percentage of people who live five miles from the Northfield campus, um, are Anglo, that's U.S. Census Bureau language, Anglo, you want to guess a percentage? 75%, down from the previous census, which was 86%, our community is changing. Farmington Hills campus, Anglo percentages, higher or lower than Northville? Lower, that's correct, 62%. Well, in the whole country, Anglos represent 50% of the U.S. population. In the whole country, in the United States of America, 50% are Anglo. And in our community, 75%, 62%. Anybody surprised so far? Not really, right? African American, what percentage of the Northville radius are African American? 8%. Farmington Hills, higher or lower? It is higher, 16%. 16%. Country as a whole, 12%. So in the whole country, 12% African Americans, but in this, in this five-mile radius, 16%. This kind of resonates with what we know, right? Hispanic, this also would not be too much of a surprise. Only 3% in the Northville uh, circle. In the Farmington Hill circle, also 3%. But in the country as a whole, 10%. Asian. This one's interesting to me. Asian would include Indian as well in Census Bureau data. Indian, Japanese, Chinese. Um, what percentage of the Northville Circle are Asian? 
12%. In the Farmington Hills, higher or lower? Higher. Some of you from Farmington Hills, you know that's 17%. In the nation as a whole, Asians represent 6%. In the nation as a whole, Asians represent 6%, but in the Farmington Hills 5-bell radius, 17%. And if you're from Farmington Hills, this is no surprise to you at all. Uh, Native American and other, this again, as you would guess, pretty small, 2%. 3%, and the nation as a whole, just 3%. Now, this one might be interesting to you. What percentage of people who live within five miles of the Northfield campus say they believe in God? Want to venture a guess? You think it's higher or lower than 50%? 79% of people who live five miles of our campus say they believe in God. Which God? The question didn't ask whether the belief in God affects their lifestyle, that's a different question too. But 79% say they believe in God. Do you think Farmington Hills is higher or lower? 80%. I did that just so the Farmington Hills people could cheer for something here. <laughs> they live in a more believing community than those of us uh, here. Why does this matter? This matters because these are the people in our neighborhood. These are the people we are called to serve and to pray for and to reach and to communicate. And so we need to know them and know their needs. We need to get to know our neighbors. Now, interestingly, a lot of things we know about our neighbors pair pretty well right now with the values of Ward Church. Uh, For example, what do we know about our neighbors um, right now? We know that our neighbors are friendly skeptics. There are hostile skeptics, but that's not your neighbors and mine. Your neighbors and mine, they believe in God, and they're more open than other parts of the country. They're friendly skeptics, and that pairs well with our value of thoughtful theology, which says, honest skeptics welcome. Tough questions, fair game. Uh, We are going to dig into the Bible and find out what the Bible actually says. We know that our neighbors are engaged parents. They really care about their kids. They're super involved with their kids, and that pairs nicely with our Uh, church value of healthy families. We believe God designed the family as the primary place of nurture for kids. Your neighbors and mine are cause-oriented. They really want to make a difference in this world, and we can help them make a difference in the world because we do all kinds of things locally and internationally through global reach and audacious generosity. Your neighbors and mine are pretty generous people on the whole and they are socially distracted. Everyone's vying for their attention. Everyone's trying to uh, get them part of their um, products. Um, But we have a value of extra mile hospitality, which says you are more than just market share. You are actually wanted. And we roll out the red carpet for you, uh, not just because you're a number, but because you're a soul, right? Now, uh, there's a book uh, called The Art of Neighboring by Dave Runyon. And the book has this challenge to complete a block map exercise. Imagine, if you will, a tic-tac-toe board. looks something like this. And this is your house in the middle, or your apartment in the middle. And this would be your immediate neighbor to the right and your immediate neighbor to the left. This is the person who lives directly behind your house or in front of your house or across the street, and the people who live kitty-corner. Maybe it's an apartment building. Maybe it's a neighborhood. uh, Maybe it's a condo association. Can you take a map like this and put in the names of the people who live adjacent to you? I want you to do this in your mind or maybe on a piece of paper right now. Can you give first names of the people to your right and left, of the people who live behind you and in front of you 
and kitty corner to you. Take a minute and think that through. Can you name the people who live adjacent to your house or to your apartment? Dave Runyon, the author of this book, says he has run this exercise in hundreds of churches around the country, and only about 10% of churchgoers can accomplish this chart. Only 10% can name their neighbors, so they have nicknamed this chart the chart of shame because it can be kind of convicting, and it sure was for me. Knowing our neighbors uh, means we need to, uh, a good place to start is to get to know their names. I think getting to know neighbors is harder in our day than it was in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, there were no garage door openers. You couldn't just pull right into your house and not talk to your neighbors. In Jesus' day, people largely did not live their lives indoors. They cooked outdoors. They worked outdoors. You saw your neighbors. You were with the community. And even 100 years ago, architects used to build homes in America with something called a front porch. And people would sit on the front porch and they would interact with neighbors. And you can trace in American architecture, as you can trace in the American psyche, the move from the front porch to the back deck. We need to re-engage in the art of neighboring and get to know our neighbors. In, in, uh, to, to, to love our neighbors is not just to feel something for them, it's to will and to work for their good. That's a good definition of love, to will and to work for their good. In one of the very famous teachings of Jesus, Jesus taught people to pray this way, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine praying this prayer for your neighborhood. God, your kingdom come in my neighborhood. Your will be done in my neighborhood. And then the Bible gets very concrete and practical about how we are to interact with our neighbors. This example from the Old Testament. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. You've got that lawnmower. <laughs> You've got the cup of flour. Uh, very, very practical words in the Bible about how to, how, to, how to treat and engage with our neighbor. And then this one from the book of Leviticus Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. Isn't this a wonderful verse? I read this every day to our younger staff members. <laughs> Maybe you have an elderly person in your neighborhood and you just want to start by noticing them. Something that doesn't happen in our culture. You notice them. You stop you talk, you notice, you care. Again, this is all tied up to God. Somehow when we love the people who are most likely to be overlooked, it's like we are loving God himself. Jesus saw this so clearly and he presented this so unforgettably. And why do we do all this? There is a reason that we do all of this, and it's grounded in God and in the incarnation. This is John's gospel. The word became flesh and what? Made his dwelling among us. Dwelling is that old word burr, and among is the old word nigh, nigh burr. And I think Eugene Peterson's rendition of this verse 
is accurate and poetic when he puts this verse this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Our God is a neighboring God. And he's called us to the work of neighboring. We need to improve at the art of neighboring. Look at one more verse with me. This is one I I hadn't noticed really until recently from the book of Acts chapter 17. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God chose the time in human history in which you would be born. And God chose the place that you would live. God chose the neighborhood that you would live in. You think you chose that house? You didn't choose that house. God chose where you are to live. And he chose it for a very specific reason. I was thinking about the potential impact of this. Let's go back to that block map here for a minute. We have about 1,500 families who call Ward Church home. 1,500 families who make their home at one of our campuses. And let's assume that every household around us has three people in it. That means every one of our 1,500 households impacting 24 people. So 1,500 of us impacting 36,000 people just doing what Jesus told us to do to love our neighbor. 36,000 people touched with the love of God just using those most adjacent to us. 36,000 people. That changes neighborhoods. That changes a region. That could be a good start of changing the world. May it be so through us. I'd like to lead us in a prayer for our neighbors and for ourselves. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for that word, neighbor. What an amazing concept. So God, we take a moment now and pray not for ourselves, but for our neighbors, for that person, for that family, for someone who is elderly and all alone, for those parents who are just exhausted trying to take care of all those kids, for that person who is going through a divorce, that one who lost a job, or struggling with something we don't even know about. God, would you help us be agents of your love? We look forward to what you're going to do. We pray for your kingdom to come in our neighborhood for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.